Everyone, welcome to church. Doesn't it look beautiful in here? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here, and we are so grateful. So welcome to Victory Life Church today. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you, and we're so thankful that you're worshiping with us today. If you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can certainly do that. Um, You can fill out a communication card that can be found on the seat back in front of you for those of you joining us online. Uh, There's a communication card online. Just go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? Fill out that form and it will come straight to me. For those of you here in person filling out the communication card, please see me afterwards in our Welcome Center. We have a free gift for you and we'd love to connect with you this morning. But thank you for being here with us today. I do have a few announcements that I'd like to share with you today. The first of which is the fact that we're going to have a Meet the Pastors event next Sunday after service in room 103. If you've been attending here at Victory Life Church for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or several months, and you haven't had a chance to make a connection with one of our ministry leaders, one of our pastors, this is a great way to do it. And and if you have some burning questions that you want to get answered, uh, this is a great way to do that as well. We're going to be in room 103 after service next Sunday, and we'd love to have you there. Bring the whole family. There will be snacks involved, and we hope that you'll join us there. I also want to make mention of the fact that we will be having a Christmas Eve service on Saturday, December 24th at 4 p.m. This is an annual tradition here at Victory Life Church, and we absolutely love it. Would you agree? Have you been here to one of these before? They are awesome. And so if you've never been to one of our Christmas Eve services, we hope that you'll come, and we hope that you'll bring a friend or a family member. It's a great experience, and uh, we do it because we want to worship our Lord Jesus. You know, we sing about the song that Jesus is defined as Emmanuel. And as you know, Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus is the fullest expression of God being with us. And that's why we come to worship him on Saturday, December 24th on Christmas Eve, because God came into this world to be with us us and live among us. And we're so excited to do that on that particular day on Christmas Eve. Then the very next day, on Sunday, when you know it, it's uh, Christmas Day, and we're going to gather together for worship here for one hour at 11 a.m., and we hope that you'll join us on that day as well. That's all I have this morning in the way of announcements, but if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can give online, you can give via text, and uh, you can also give as you exit the sanctuary this morning, but indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings. Can I ask you to stand this morning and in preparation for our worship time together, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we believe that you're still speaking today through the person of Jesus. Because as we mentioned, Jesus is the fullest expression of Emmanuel, which means God with us. Help us to know and recognize that you are here with us this morning. Speaking working, acting in ways recognizable to us. May you do these things and more as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him together this morning. We can put our hands together. Here we go. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Come on. One, two, three. 
who sent his son Jesus to this earth so that we could have salvation. And I'm so excited this morning that we get to share that joy with each other, but we also get to share that joy with the world. Don't let it stay inside these doors. We have a God who came to give eternal life through his son, Jesus. It can't stay in here. It has to go out. You have three weeks before Christmas to shine your light to the world. Don't keep that joy inside these doors. Let that joy shine. Let that hope go to others. God with us. Emmanuel.
God with us. We must share it. We must. Let's sing about that name, Emmanuel. Sing about who he is. He delights in it. is to worship you. 
seated.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place today. It moves us, and may it change us. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again, Victory Life. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us on one of these beautiful Christmas services today. Beautiful music from our worship team today to get us into the presence of the Lord. Before I dismiss children today, we have a few special announcements that I want to make to you. First and foremost, we are very grateful to Brandy Court and her entire team for the festive look of our church today. If you have ever fluffed one of these trees, you know that this work takes hours, and we're so grateful to Brandy and for putting in so much time and all those who came out Friday night and then the plethora of people that came out Saturday night to make this church look so beautiful. Also, as a church, we want to give you an opportunity today. Uh, most churches have this, uh, you know, just this heritage, if you will, of giving something at the holidays uh, rather than just receiving and last year, we did something really, really neat. We gave thousands and thousands of dollars to an orphanage called Nana's House uh, through our partners at Heart for Mexico. Uh, there are also opportunities that we took advantage of to help start churches, to support the School of Missions in Topeka, Nayarit, Mexico, to help short-term missions teams uh, go ahead and participate in spreading God's word and the love of Jesus throughout the world. Many of you walked out into the lobby last year and you grabbed a red envelope and you gave a gift out of this Christmas catalog to support those who are actively evangelizing a lost and a dying world. We wanted to give you that opportunity again this Christmas and this is available to you in the lobby today. Uh, there's a lovely display as you walk out the doors and if you have made your 47th Amazon purchase, your 327th trip to Target, and you're saying, you know what, I and Charlie Brown are sick of the commercialism of Christmas. This would be a way to practically give back to those who are in need. If you have somebody on your list who has said, don't get me anything, because they're an old curmudgeon, there is the opportunity to give a gift in their name and then you can take one of these little pieces of paper and give them a gift in one of these red envelopes to say, I donated to a wonderful organization who is evangelizing the lost and taking care of people in need, and I did that in your name. Now, if you want to do something that's even closer to home, you know that we have two missionaries that go directly out of Victory Life Church, and that's Daniel and Sierra Miller. And our missions committee went and said, Daniel and Sierra who are ministering in a place that cannot be disclosed on a live stream because of the nature of the place that they're ministering. But most of you know you can ask in the lobby for like, where are they ministering? The moon? No, not the moon, just a place that they don't want it. It should not go out on in the media. But if you would like to support Daniel and Sierra, there are specific gifts that you can make towards our missionaries who are, are operating in a very, very dangerous part of the world. And so if you would love to bless Daniel and Sierra specifically, you can use one of those red envelopes and uh, check this box and make a gift directly to some of the missionaries that are part of this church. Isn't that cool that we have opportunities for you to give today? And, uh, oh, well, thank you for that smattering of applause. 
I am always comfortable with a smattering. And so uh, stop in the lobby today and make sure that if you have not yet chosen a great charity or a great missions organization to support this Christmas, that you and your family do something special. If you want to go grab your kids and bring them back down the hall in order to say this is a time that we give a special offering to Jesus, that would be a really powerful thing. And so, kids, if you want to come back down the hall and say, Mom and Dad, spend a little less on me and a little more on the orphanage, I'm sure they would be thrilled to do that as well. All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. Don't tackle any ushers on your way out today. Pastor Otto, enjoy, and uh, have a good time. So uh, we're excited for them to get a message on their level down the hall. And uh, if you are new here to Victory Life, you can definitely go get those kids after service. We have not lost any this year. All right. Uh, If you have your Bibles today, turn to the book of Luke. We are still in our overall series for the year, which is called Shine Your Light. But our sub-series was uh, up until this time. uh, Pastor Otto closed us out last year, or last week, with Matthew the Evangelist. We're going to do a four-service series called The Announcers. Four services that include this Sunday and next Sunday and Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. And we're going to talk about all those who get to announce the birth of Christ, who get to give the good news, the good news of Jesus' birth. I was thinking about news this week, and I was thinking about all the news that gets shared in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. So many people speaking things before they happen. Now, that's become a very popular thing nowadays. Right now on some four-letter network on television, somebody's telling you who's going to win the football games this afternoon, right? They're, they're giving you the news before it happens, except they'll be wrong, Right, right. A couple, couple of months ago, people were telling you exactly who was going to win each and every uh, race for Congress and the Senate. And most of the time, those who give news in advance are wrong. And of course, in the last few years, we have had the advent of those two words that all of us have used at one time or another, fake news. Now, I was giving fake news before it was cool because I used to be the announcer for, for my high school in the mornings. You know, that little box in the corner that would start squawking at you. This afternoon, their swim team practice at the natatorium. Make sure you're there at 4 p.m. and, you know, bring an extra cap or something, you know. So I would give these announcements, and I decided that they were boring and we needed something extra. So I began to announce clubs that didn't exist, like the Underwater Basket Weaving Club and the Underage Smokers Anonymous, which always met in front of the police station. You know, I just would get in a few extra announcements, a little bit of fake news, uh, until the principal of the entire school met me outside the announce booth one day and told me that I was not making announcements in the morning for my own benefit. (laughs) The funny thing about news is that God loves to give the news, and he loves to give it before it's happening and as it's happening, and he's wildly accurate. Like, he doesn't mess it up. Like, he's the only prognosticator who's, like, legit. He always reports the news before it happens. He has people announcing the news as it happens. And he loves to use announcers, embedded reporters, if you will, to share the news before and as it's happening. Because not only does God love to have us wonder at him, like, wow, God, way to go. You told us in advance that that would be happening. 
But God also loves to use his announcers, his messengers, his reporters, if you will, to announce things before and as they are happening so that it can be indisputably seen that God's hand is at work in their life. By using announcers ahead of time, before the event has taken place, when the event does take place, people can say, wow, God spoke into my life story at just the right moment with just the right word, even if I doubt it. The announcers have the privileged position of helping people see God's hand at work in the life story of others. And of course, God gets more glory when that takes place. I'm going to introduce you to some announcers over the course of the next few weeks. And we're going to introduce you today to one of the great announcers of Scripture, somebody who is going to be at the dead center of both this week's story and next week's story. His name is Gabriel. Now, the story of Jesus' birth, believe it or not, does not take place or begin, if you will, with a star. It doesn't begin with a shepherd. It doesn't begin with a manger. It doesn't begin with Gabriel's word to Mary in her humble house in Nazareth. In fact, the story of Jesus begins, believe it or not, Luke tells us, in Jerusalem. And the story of Jesus' birth, us getting ready for the birth of Christ, the advent of Christ, begins in the temple of Jerusalem 15 months before Jesus is born. And it doesn't begin with the name Jesus, but begins with the name John. And today we're going to see how the news that God is going to bring into the world in Jesus begins with the news of this baby boy, John, and how the story of God is complex, multi-layered, profound, and how every bit of it gets us ready for Jesus. So today let's talk about how announcers get to speak the purpose, plan, and power of God into the lives of others so that God can be seen in wonder. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and following with me, and get your thinking caps on, because there's a few verses that we'll be reading today. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were advanced in years. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division of priests was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, every wife's dream, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering in his delay at the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them, but remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What a powerful story. What a great story. Now, everything, and I mean everything we just read, matters for the birth of Jesus. Every bit, every portion, every parcel of this story matters because it shows the depth, the multi-layeredness, the profundity of God's plan to bring his son into the world. You see, the headline of Jesus' birth is not two paragraphs waiting for further development. There are 2,000 years of foreshadowing, prophecy, and building towards this real-life crescendo. The story of Jesus' birth doesn't begin with Mary in Nazareth or the shepherds in Bethlehem. It starts before. And here we see some symmetry taking place, even between this story in Luke 1 and the next story, which bleeds in to Luke 2. There's a symmetry between Elizabeth, who has a miraculous conception, and Mary, who has a miraculous conception. A symmetry between John, who will be great among the people of the Lord, and Jesus, who will be greatest among those of the Lord. And then we have, of course, the symmetry of Gabriel getting to announce both the births of John and Jesus. The one who, John, we know as the Baptist and Jesus, who we know as the Savior. I'd like to unpack the context for you for just a few minutes, and then I'd like to do three things with you this morning. After I've unpacked the context, I'd like to talk about this deep, multi-layered, profound plan of God and just how much depth there is in this passage. I want to then speak to the nature of miracles themselves because they have a lot to do with what we're going to see in these birth narratives of Jesus And finally, I want to speak to you about the role that we can continue to play because this story is ongoing and God wants to place each one of us smack dab in the advent of the Savior. The context of this story is interesting because in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we are introduced to Herod, the anti-Messiah, if you will. You see, Herod is the king of Judea, king of the Jewish people, but he is not the one who was expected. You see, the Messiah, the king who the people of Israel had expected, was supposed to be in the line of David, and Herod is barely Jewish. He can't be in the line of the greatest king of Israel, the one to whom it was promised, someone's coming from your line who will reign forever in justice and righteousness. Cannot be Herod because he's not in David's line. Not only is 
Herod, not in David's line, but he is not a king of righteousness and justice. Herod is vain, and he's vicious, and he's violent. He's self-aggrandizing and glory-seeking. That temple where Zechariah was ministering had been built by him almost as if it was the eighth wonder of the world. The temple complex was huge, but not for the glory of Yahweh God, but for the glory of Herod himself. He was not the one that the people were looking for. He was not on the throne as a descendant of David. He was on the throne as a friend of Caesar Augustus. He is not the one they've been looking for. Yet here stands, in opposition to Herod, a faithful priest and his wife. He who is of the line of Abijah, one of 24 sections of the priesthood. She who also is a daughter of Aaron, meaning she is a Levite and in the line of priests as well. And the Bible tells us that they are righteous and blameless before God, putting them in unique position, not for a miracle, mind you, but to be used by God. See, we cannot say that everybody who gets a miracle is righteous. For many of us have received miracles in our unrighteousness. In fact, salvation came perhaps at our most unrighteous moment. But we can say that God's ability to use you on some level is connected to righteousness and blamelessness. And these two people need a miracle. They've been waiting their whole life, praying their whole life for one that has not yet come. And finally, in the way of context, I want to mention to you that Luke tells us there was a multitude of people just outside the holy place that day. Zechariah went into the temple proper. They were outside at the hour of incense praying, showing how devout and how righteous they truly were. Except the gospel writer lets us know that they were not. Look at the words that... Gabriel speaks to John in verse 16 and following regarding this multitude of people who look religious. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, verse 17, and he will go before him. So Zechariah must have known, oh my, we're speaking of the Messiah. Go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Meaning that the fathers need to be raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So there are people who are being disobedient to God to their folly and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, which insinuates that these people burning incense and praying outside the temple that day, they were not prepared for salvation. They looked religious, but that was as far as it went. And into this context stands this blameless priest burning incense in the holy place of the temple and someone shows up. There should not have been anyone else there that day. And he was sore afraid, if you will, himself at this moment because he thought he was alone. It's the angel Gabriel who tells him to fear not and gives him this deeply warm and satisfying pronouncement, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. Boy, for some of us today, we just need that word, and that's all we need. Your prayers have been answered. They've been heard. See, Zechariah, I don't know if he had stopped praying 10 years ago or 15 years ago, or he was still praying for a miracle to the present time, but God had heard the prayer and registered that prayer. And the angel lets him know, your and Elizabeth's prayer has been heard and is about to be answered. 
God's miracle is in store for you. And much to the angel and his father God's delight, much to the delight of heaven, this child, this miracle is going to bring John and Elizabeth great joy, great gladness, and many are going to rejoice at the birth. He is telling Zechariah, Zechariah, it's going to be great. And God's excited to tell you it's going to be great. And the personal nature of God is this. Look at what God does. He gets very personal with Zechariah before zooming out to the great big plan. Because this plan to bring John into the world is not an isolated event. In fact, the miracle that Zechariah and Elizabeth get is going to go hand in hand with the plan of God. This miracle is for Jesus. To get people ready for Jesus. And reminds us that all miracles are for Christ's sake. The deeply personal God says joy and gladness and rejoicing is going to be the result of the miracle I'm giving you, Zechariah, that I'm giving you, Elizabeth. Oh, and by the way, let me telegraph how your miracle and the plan of God go hand in hand. It's at this point, after this announcement, that Zechariah gives doubt to the angel. How shall I know this? Now Mary, in the very next passage, is going to say what? How can this be? I'm a virgin. Which means that somehow the how can I know this and the how can this be are different doubts. Zechariah must be looking at the angel of the Lord and saying, no way, pal. Mary must have looked at the angel of the Lord and said, ha, 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 right? I don't understand this, as opposed to no way this isn't going to happen. And Zechariah then says very clearly, listen, I'm an old dude, and my wife is postmenopausal. This ain't happening, right? And so at this point, the angel says, shut up, and stay shut up for nine months, because I shouldn't be here, and I'm an angel, and I have more to say to you. Now, I want to talk now that we've, 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 we've talked about this announcement. We've talked about how this miracle of God goes hand in hand. I just, want to, I just want to talk to you about this news. This news that is deep. This news that is multilayered. This news that is profound. Because the news of God's salvation is deep, and it is multilayered, and it is profound. And I want to talk to you about that for just a few minutes and just see how far we can get with this specific birth announcement. See, this announcement is, is profound already because John is going to make the way for the Messiah. He's going to prepare the hearts of the people and say, you need to repent of your sin. He's going to cut them to the heart so that Jesus can enter in. This is the plan of God. It's already deep. It's already profound. But look at the things that take place in this story and think about reading them through the eyes of holy history. Where else have we seen a woman who is advanced in years and an old fart of a husband able to conceive. Does that not begin the story of God's salvation in the first place? Abraham and Sarah. See, is it not those people who God gives this miracle to in the first place and then reintroduces this miracle 2,000 years later in order to say, see, my salvation has come. They give birth to a son named Isaac, except that Isaac's not the one. He's not the one through whom holy history is going to happen. It's the one that comes after Isaac by another miraculous birth. Are you seeing it? 
See, Isaac was a miraculous birth, and Jacob was a miraculous birth, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel, the people of God, through whom salvation was going to come. So we have a miraculous birth from an old man and an old woman bringing somebody to bear that should not be brought to bear, who is the predecessor to one through whom God will bring his salvation story once more. Not only this, but, but Elizabeth being introduced into the story reminds us of another barren woman, another woman in history who felt reproach among her people. As we read in verse 25, her name was Hannah. Hannah was one who wept before the Lord because she did not have a child and felt deep reproach because of her desire for one and inability to produce a child. And of course, once again, God gives a child. His name is Samuel. Interestingly enough, Samuel is one of the only people in Scripture, besides Jeremiah, who serves as both priest and prophet of the Lord. And here comes John, who was in the line of priests, but serves as what? The prophet of the Lord. The link of the priest and the prophet happens once more from a miraculous birth of a, from a barren woman. Here comes Samuel once again to speak truth to power as Samuel did into the household of Eli. And here comes John to speak truth to power into the kingship of Herod Antipas and into the religious orders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And of course, Samuel is the predecessor, the one who gets the hearts of Israel ready for their righteous king, who is David, the one through whom the Messiah will come. Layers, depth, profundity. John is going to come in the spirit of Elijah, J-A-H, Elijah, the great prophet of the book of Kings who does miracle after miracle after miracle to try to turn the hearts of the people back to God. He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. No greater prophet theoretically could come after Elijah. I mean, he, he destroyed the prophets of Baal, for heaven's sakes. He stood up to Jezebel and to Ahab, and he, 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 he showed that God was the true king of Israel. He spoke truth to power. He did the miraculous, except that the Bible tells us that the one that came after Elijah had a double portion of God's spirit upon him, and his name was Elisha. And if you really want to see something crazy, crazy, go read in the book of Kings about the miracles of Elisha and watch how Jesus does them bigger and better. The depth and profundity, the multi-layeredness of this story is on display right here. God is redoing, and to a greater extent, his holy history so that people would know, I've been planning this since the beginning because the news of God's salvation is deep and multilayered and is profound, and it is made to allow people to wonder, not wonder in confusion, wonder in awe. Holy moly, God, none of what happened in the past is wasted on the present. And none of what is taking place in the present will be wasted in the future because your plan is deep and it's multi-layered and it's profound. Didn't I tell you that every bit of this story matters for Jesus because what has been prefigured is now being figured right 
in our sight. Zechariah and Elizabeth are in the privileged position of receiving a miracle, but we must understand that they place the miracle within the proper context. They are thrilled that they're going to have this child. In one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture, we, we sometimes get lost in Mary's Magnificat and the beautiful things that she says. I love what Elizabeth says in verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. When he looked on me. You know, one of the most profound things that we can say to people when we pray for them is the Lord sees you. He sees you. Not only does he hear you, but he sees you. He looks on you. He knows you by name. And she says, the Lord has looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She knows God's done a miracle, but Elizabeth places it in its proper context. Just as the angel announces to Zechariah, Zechariah, you're going to get your miracle, and God is so glad to be able to bring you joy and gladness and to cause great rejoicing. But remember, your miracle goes hand in hand with the need that Jesus has from this miracle. Your miracle is for Jesus. Elizabeth knows it too. Turn a page to an as yet unread uh, verse in the scripture. I want you to turn to verse 42, if you will. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to read 42 and 43. Elizabeth is always ready to contextualize her miracle as it ought to be contextualized. Elizabeth gets the greatest announcement of her life, and Mary comes to her five to six months later. And this is what Elizabeth says as Mary comes to her. Verse 42 of chapter 1. And Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry to Mary, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is getting her miracle, yet recognizes that her miracle is for Jesus. She puts the proper context around the miracle. See, the miracles his announcers speak point to Jesus. That's what they do. That's their role. They, they point to Jesus. They let us know that Jesus is living and active and has a plan. The miracles of the Old Testament point to Jesus. The miracles of these moments point to Jesus because Jesus is going to use it for the salvation of human beings. And I want to tell you today, I know that there are a few of you in this place who are in need of a miracle. And I can't promise you that you're going to get it. I can't promise you that your prayer is going to get answered because some of them don't. But for those of you who will get your miraculous answer or for those of you who have experienced your miraculous answer, let us always place miracles within their proper context. Miracles are for Jesus. And God granted the miracle to bring you joy and gladness, but also for Christ's sake. That's what the miracle was for. It's not an isolated incident. If you make it an isolated incident, then we have a problem because you have not contextualized the miracle. Elizabeth was able to do so. Zechariah was able to do so. How do I know? If you were to look at at chapter 1, verses 67 and following, Zechariah, it is said, said, spoke these words when God loosed his tongue. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
That's verses 68 and 69 of chapter 1. Zechariah says, doesn't say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. I got a son. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Zechariah wasn't from the house of David. Jesus was. Jesus was. Zechariah was from the house of Levi, more specifically of the division of Abijah. Please remember that for your next Christmas quiz. Because I'll give one. No, he contextualizes the miracle. It's all about Jesus. So his announcers get to speak, okay? They get to speak the plan and the purpose and the power of God into the life story of others. That's the role that announcers get to play. They get to speak the plan, the purpose, the power of God. That's what Gabriel gets to do for Zechariah that day. He speaks it. That's, what's, that's what he's going to get to do for Mary. But the beautiful thing is, is that everybody in these stories that, that receives a miracle, they go to become an announcer. They, they don't just stay there. Zechariah, verse 68 and 69 of chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel, for he's redeemed his people and has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. There's the pronouncement of Elizabeth when Mary gets there. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. I turned the page, I didn't need to. My soul magnifies the Lord, and this, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It says of the shepherds in chapter 2, when they received their miracle, that they began to tell everybody what they heard concerning that child. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and they had seen and had been told them. When the prophet Simeon sees what takes place in the Lord's timing, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And if you really want to go over to Matthew chapter 2, which can confuse us because we're like, where's the wise men when we're reading Luke? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship the newborn king. Everybody who receives a miracle becomes an announcer. Every single one. They all begin to speak the plan and the purpose and the power of God. Gabriel gets the ball rolling, but everybody then gets to loose their tongue and speak what God has done because there's an opportunity to show what God is doing in the life story of someone else. Announcers get to speak the plan, the purpose, and the power of God into the life stories of others, and we can't always play the role of recipient. We can't always be the lowly shepherds thinking, why would the angel appear to us? We can't play the role of Zechariah and Elizabeth saying, why would God look on us after all these years? We can't always play the role of Mary going, I, I don't see that I have any right to bear the king. We can't always play the role of shepherds who go, holy moly, the angels. We can't always play the role of the wise men going, look at that star. We can't always be the receiver of the miracle, but the role that we can always play is the role of announcer. Because we have the inside track to the plan, the purpose, and the power of God. And if we will speak the plan, the purpose, and the power of God into the life story of other individuals, God will move. That's the role we play. That's the ultimate privileged position. Every miracle receiver becomes a miracle pronouncer. Everybody in the story announces something. You say, I can't play the role of announcer. I am no prophet. Neither was Mary. I can't play the role of announcer. I don't have enough learnedness. Neither did the shepherds. 
I can't play the role of announcer. I'm not an angel. No, you're not. (laughs) But what Gabriel had, you have. You have it by way of Jesus. Let us read one more verse today, and let's see the response of Gabriel to Zechariah's doubt in verse 19. When Zechariah says, how shall I know this? Meaning, this ain't happening. Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength, said, I am God is my strength. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now you would say, Pastor Matt, God is my strength. And I know I have good news to bring but I don't know that I stand in the presence of God. Really? You don't have that right? You don't have access to stand in the presence of God? Into the massive amount of human doubt, fear, and concern The world needs people who stand in the presence of God, and you have the right and the privilege right now, as Gabriel had then. There's somebody in your life right now who needs you to stand in the presence of God and get a word for them. And you have the right and you have the access, according to the scriptures, right now to get a word of good news that you're to speak to them that will change their life story forever if you would only risk it. For God is your strength and you do stand in the presence of the Lord and you will get a word of good news to bring if you ask. I was speaking to a missionary friend of mine recently I always like to ask missionaries what they do because sometimes we in the American church, and this isn't like a blanket statement, it's just a sometimes. Sometimes we can be out of touch. We make our entire Christian experience about uh, preaching and music and the the things that the church can offer us. and, and, And so I like to know what they're doing ministerially because it's so focused on people coming to know Jesus. So I said to my missionary friend, I said, tell me something that you do that gets people ready to go on the mission field that you wish American churches would do. And he said, oh, okay. He said, at our training school, he said, we do this exercise where we sit and we pray and we just sit in silence and we ask the Lord to give us a word for someone else in the prayer circle. Straight from heaven. And my initial response to him was, that is, I didn't say this, I'm just thinking in my head, that is crazy. Because the human element scares me to death. Because we're fallen, right? We can miss it. We can completely speak from the flesh. And, he, and so we, we, I talked about it. I didn't say it's crazy. I talked about it in nicer terms. I just said, that's scary to me. I said, why would you do that? 
why, why is that something you'd like to see in the church in the U.S.? And he said, because we realize that when we go on the mission field, if we don't have a word from the Lord for people, we're in trouble. And we need to begin to develop the skill set of being in the presence of the Lord and getting a word from him so that we can take that into a lost and dying world. And that's what I wish the American church would do. And I wonder if that's a prayer we often pray. Lord, allow me to come into your presence today that I may speak good news for which I was sent into the life of another. My prayer before this service was not that every single one of you would get a word. But my prayer was that some of us would get a word today that would lead to the wonder of God being developed in someone who does not yet know him. And that the words that we would speak at this Christmas season would not be words of our own making, but words so deep and profound, so timely, that other human beings would say of the Lord, thus the Lord has done for me in the day when he looked on me. I pray that our words would be as those words. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? For just a few moments, let us make this household a household of prayer. And for some of us today, we want to hear a word from the Lord. A word that is to be shared in the life story of another. Oh Lord, make of us announcers of your news today. Could I just ask us in a spirit of reverence to just have a few moments of prayer? And would you be so bold as to say to the Lord, Lord, is there someone that you have a word for that you want to speak through me? And would you give me supernatural insight so that I may speak it? For thus is your right, your heritage, and your privilege as a bearer of God's Holy Spirit. Would you pray your own prayer today?
Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus, speak to us so that we can speak with the same surety and clarity as your servants of old. That the life story of someone else might be changed forever because you've spoken. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand today? I encourage you, if God's given you a word today, to speak it and to stand in the power and the strength of God when you do. Because God is in the life-changing business and he loves to use his announcers to do it. God, send us from this place full of your spirit and ready for your call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.